I'm Aaron Reynolds, and you're listening to Explain Like I'm Five, presented by Interact. As Canada's domestic debit network for over 30 years, Interact allows Canadians to pay how they want, when they want, and where they want, whether with your debit card, mobile, or wearable device. Learn more at interact.ca. I like to think that I'm an intelligent guy, but I know more about the curriculum at the Jedi Academy than I do about Canadian social support programs, and that's kind of a problem. And that's why I'm inviting smart people into the studio to explain things to me like I'm five. I have here in the studio with me today Miles Korak, who is a professor of economics at the Graduate Center at the City University of New York. Thank you so much for being here. It's a genuine pleasure, Aaron. There's been a lot of uh, chatter in the news about uh, guaranteed basic income because there was a pilot program in Ontario that was scrapped by the incoming government. Um, I want to talk about the concepts behind that. I do want to talk about the specifics of that program, but I would like to understand, first of all, what is the idea of a, of a guaranteed basic income? Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, maybe chatter is not even the right word. There's been a lot of discussion, a, a lot of ongoing discussion yep. for many years. And one of the first acts of the provincial government um, was to cancel an ongoing pilot. Um, we might sort of think about what a basic income is, is at three levels. So when you listen to that conversation, when you listen to that chatter, the first thing you hear is sort of a, an aspiration, uh, sometimes wrapped up in, in, in notions of human rights, that all citizens have a right to a certain standard of living. Right. And so somehow we aspire to this in, in, in public policy. But when you listen to stakeholders make those claims, it's all very fuzzy on what the details are and right. what the specifics are. There's another level at which this chatter goes on as well, uh, the basic income as a policy response to the changing nature of work. So, for example, a lot of discussion now about machine learning, artificial intelligence, and robots very much changing the nature of work and putting a lot of people permanently out of jobs. Right. And so out of Silicon Valley in the United States, a lot of the entrepreneurs are actually advocating for basic income. Let us do what we do. Let the technology flow. There are going to be consequences. Give people some share of the pie. Okay? Right. And then there's a third level, uh, a much more practical level, in which we understand a basic income uh, around particular designs, of, uh, of different options of how to transfer resources and support those in most need. And the Ontario uh, pilot is an example of testing um, uh, a particular design. So in the economics literature, this goes uh, way back, uh, well, at least into the 70s, 1970s, but even further, and it's sometimes called a, a negative income tax. So there are two parameters to play with here. One, a basic guarantee. How much money should we transfer, transfer to individuals unconditionally? All right. Okay. You don't have to work. You don't have to have a, a particular family structure. You don't have to have children. You get an unconditional income support. So how, how big should that be? And then the other part of the design is uh, a clawback rate, a taxback rate. For every extra dollar you end up earning in the labor market, if you're working, how, uh, at what rate should your benefits fall? Should, right. should the benefits fall dollar for dollar 
or some lower fraction of that. So hypothetically, let's imagine a, a simple program. Um, the program gives me, say, $100 uh, unconditionally. I don't have to work for it. I don't have to have any other particular uh, traits. Um, that's the level of the guarantee. The question is how big that, 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 that should be. So let's say we've, we're talking about $100. Then the other part of the program is what happens if I, if I do work? Do I get to keep all of the $100 or do I keep some fraction less? So if I make an extra dollar, it may be under some particular designs that uh, my benefits fall by 50 uh, cents. It may be my, that my benefits don't fall at all or it may be that my benefits fall a full dollar. So I go, go out and work for an extra dollar, my benefits fall off a dollar, and I'm no further ahead. So somewhere between a tax back rate of zero and 100% right. is the other parameter we have to deal with. Okay. So the, the specific debate in the economics literature around negative income taxation um, is around those two parameters. But in the large, when we talk about basic income, it basically uh, refers to the, um, the, uh, a program that will transfer income to people in uh, need, uh, facing challenging circumstances in life without conditions. Right. Okay, thank you. Um, I can see how the conversation would be complex when it comes to uh, that clawback part of it, because there has to be, I suppose there has to be a motivation, you know, like a uh, 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 level to it, because it would be, it would be hard for me to convince myself to go out and do a job if I didn't end up seeing a benefit from it in the end. Does that make sense? Well, Aaron, I think you've hit sort of one part of the policy discussion. Uh, you hit that nail right on the head. Okay. So uh, a lot of the conversation is about, to use the economics terms, the work disincentives of these things. Okay, yes. So in theory, at first cut, our intuition might be if uh, working is strenuous, if it's, uh, if it's a bad, if it's something we don't like doing, and you give me more money, I will work less. Right. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is sort of the intuition you're appealing to. Uh, and the question really is, how strong are those effects? So a lot of the experiments that were done in the 1970s and the Ontario pilot more recently, part of their objective was to try to figure out how strong the work disincentives effect. The, uh, the guarantee, um, uh, the unconditional guarantee, in theory, in economic theory, might lead us to suggest uh, a decline in work effort. And then um, the, uh, the clawback has to be designed to sort of to encourage a little bit more, given that you are already uh, 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 working. And the debate is just really how strong is that work, work disincentive effect. Right. Now, now, we should say, though, that the Ontario program was motivated, uh, but all, also by the administrative complexity of the existing programs. Right. Okay. So we, should, we should always judge innovations not in terms of just their costs, but their benefits. So what was going on in Ontario, at least some of the motivation for it was, first of all, we should recognize that in the existing way that we offer income support to many low-income people, there are uh, considerable disincentives to work. There are very high marginal uh, tax rates. So when you work uh, uh, and obtain an extra dollar, that can lead you to losing more than a dollar worth of benefits. Right. And so some people have spoken in the past about the welfare wall. Uh, and for the economists, that's high marginal uh, 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 tax rates at, okay. the, at, at lower end. 
The other thing that happens is there are all kinds of administrative rules and tests, uh, asset tests. How many? How many? How, how, are you allowed to have assets if you collect benefits or not? Yeah, all these these admit this administrative burden is very huge. So part of the thinking of the Ontario project was let's just give people agency. Let's perhaps get a little bit out of that mindset that uh, work is, uh, is, is painful, there's a disincentive effect, people would rather not to work. Let's just give people uh, agency, give them a certain amount of money with right. no bureaucracy attached to it, which we save a whole deal of money in terms of how right. we administer yeah, the program, yeah, yeah. huge savings, and uh, assume that they will organize their lives in the way that's appropriate for, uh, for them. So it's a little bit of shift in our thinking. Uh, you know, you'll you'll notice sort of two different uh, framings out there. Listen carefully to the discussion. If people speak about the poor, the needy, or if they speak about citizens in need, uh, Canadians who are poor, Canadians who use income systems, right? It's a very different conception of the motivations of people. On the one hand, uh, there are people somehow gaming the system. Right. <laughs> On the other hand, there are Canadians just like us who uh, happen to need insurance or support at a particular point in, in their lives. Mm-hmm. And part of it is to shift the philosophy to that latter point of view, give people uh, the support they need, give them the agency to spend the money how they see fit to organize their lives, and save a huge uh, lot uh, of money on the administration of the program and remove all of the existing disincentives. To right. Um, and that really that really rings for me because uh, one of the points you were talking about earlier um, about uh, machines uh, and machine learning and so on, taking over jobs or making jobs obsolete and making people unemployable, I was thinking about my dad and my dad is retired. But if my dad was born about 10 years later and went on the same career path that he was on, he would have spent probably the last five years of like his last five employable years trying to find a new industry to be in because it just, it all just went away. Uh, I'm not sure what industry your dad was in, but this is, you're describing sort of the, the archetype of someone who had worked in manufacturing for many right. years. You all of it. a sudden the plant closes down. Uh, you're and not, now what? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you've spent so many years, your, your human capital and your skills are wrapped up with that particular industry, that particular plant, and you've got to make a tremendous shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's certainly that out there, but that's been ongoing for a long time. For like, sure. Remember for this sure. notion of basic income or ne- negative income tax was first experimented with in the United States in the 19th. 1970s. So we're always grappling with the best way to respond to labor uh, market uh, mm-hmm. changes and the d- best design for income support uh, programs. And when we have a lot of programs in place, uh, certainly probably to help your dad as, for as, sure. as well as others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that you brought up uh, the the financial case for uh, stripping out some of the bureaucracy involved in, in current support programs, because I did want to ask about that case for uh, for guaranteed basic income programs. Are there other financial reasons, like long-term, short-term? Are there other benefits to basically to everybody else aside from the person on the program uh, of, of a program like this? There's some concrete evidence on that, not just within generations, but cross-generations. 
Um, so in Canada, in the mid-1970s, we actually ran an experiment like this in uh, Manitoba, in Winnipeg and in Dauphin. And that experiment's become uh, famous. Um, Evelyn Forger, who's at the University of Manitoba, has done some very convincing uh, analysis of this. Uh, so this happened in the 70s, and she was able to um, uh, get access to the underlying data. And look what happened to these people who participated in this program, particularly in Dauphin, which is what they called a saturated site. Everybody in the community uh, had the option of get, getting into the program. Mm -hmm. And so she found, one of the things she found is that, particularly for younger um, uh, unattached men who participated in the program, they tended to go to school longer. They were more likely to graduate from high school. Okay. So there you see um, some educational consequences. And we know that the more educated parents are, the more likely their children are, go are likely to go on have more edu education. And the other thing she did is she looked at um, the participants' interactions with the healthcare system. Now, remember, when we're designing an experiment, we have a particular evaluation objective in mind. So we're not just looking at the people who participated in the program. We're looking at a group of people who are just like them who didn't participate. They're, in some sense, the, the control group. Right. So relative to the control group, she found that there was subsequently in the years and decades afterwards a lot less use of the uh, healthcare care uh, system, particularly around issues around mental stress and things of, uh, of, uh, of that sort. So there you see sort of these social impacts happening more broadly, higher education levels, better health. Uh, presumably that also has implications for the costs of how you manage the, well, those sense. programs yeah. as well. Can we talk for a moment about the the Ontario pilot? How far in was it? Had it had it been going anywhere yet? Uh, it was a three year pilot, mm -hmm. and it was one year in. Okay, they had some challenges getting started and getting communities in, in, in enrolled. Um, it was still at its early stages, but people were clearly enrolled. They were clearly receiving uh, uh, the benefits in a number of communities in the province. And uh, was there any was there any data from it yet? Was I it too early to, to have those conversations? I think the general consensus is that it's too early to say. Okay. Uh, and so it's sort of interesting listening to the discussion uh, around the reasons of why it was canceled. It's in some sense, people are sort of presupposing the answers to the questions that the program was designed to offer answers right. to. Okay. And we were just not there with it yet. Okay. Now, you can always question these experiments in two ways, uh, what economists call their internal validity versus their external validity. We're running an experiment. It's like a randomized drug trial. You need a, a control group and a treatment group. The treatment group receives the benefit. The control group are just like them, but don't receive any right. benefit. And it's the difference in outcomes between the two groups that tells you the impact of the program. Right. So in this case, it would be a group that's on the, the Guaranteed Basic Income program, another group that's on existing social support programs. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so you need time to pass <laughs> before you right. have enough information to say just what the outcomes were. And, and a year is, was clearly uh, not enough. Not, time. Not enough. Um, the Ontario pilot came under some criticisms for its internal validity. You, you, you want to make sure that the samples you draw are representative, and how did you get into those samples? Those are questions. And then obviously, reasonably, like all pilots, we can question their external validity. And this is what we were talking about earlier. Uh, would this program have the same impact in other communities? Would it have the same impacts if it was scaled up? And But 
there are econometric, uh, economic techniques to sort of uh, model those kinds of things with the parameters you get from the program. But basically, to answer your, your question, the program just got started. Uh, we are one year in, and there isn't enough data, as far as I know, to answer the meaningful questions that it was intended to answer. Okay. Um, so where do we go from here? Well, that is the you know that is the the question, and we're always going somewhere. Uh, and I think social policy do, does has to continue does have to continually respond to the changing uh, nature of, of work. My own view is that uh, we just need more coherence in the existing policy framework, and we're pretty close to a a, a, a basic uh, income. Um, for example, the government introduced in the last budget the Canada Worker Benefit, uh, which, which amped up an existing program called the Working Income Tax Benefit. So basically, you can think of this as a type of guaranteed income conditional on working. It's, it's a type of uh, uh, social wage, if you will. If you make an extra dollar, the government will uh, give you a certain amount of extra uh, money. I think we should take programs like that and make sure that they, co- they are seamless and coherent with other parts of the uh, social safety net, that people who are on the candidate worker's benefit will naturally uh, uh, fall into coverage of the employment insurance program. In the employment insurance program now, there is something called uh, working while on claim. So you can continue to receive benefits while you work. So all of these are sort of a, a wage subsidies to those, to, to those who work. We can still proceed with simplifying the administration of income assistance at the provincial level and reducing marginal effective uh, tax rates, reducing uh, uh, asset requirements and things uh, 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 of that sort. So I think steady incrementalism in the right direction is something that you know uh, doesn't depend upon uh, this experiment or not. It should be continually uh, done in face of the changing nature of work. Miles Korak, thank you very much for joining us today. Where can people find you if they want to know more about what you're doing? Uh, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. I've, I've been a great fan of Canada 2020, so it's an honor to be here. Um, and uh, I do uh, have a blog, so it's very simple to, 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 to get to my website, mileskorak.com. And you can reach me on Twitter, at Miles Korak. Thank you again. Thank you. Use Interact Flash to pay conveniently and securely at hundreds of thousands of merchants across Canada. Learn more at interact.ca.